Don't you just hate losing things? When things are lost or gone, it's frustrating, irritating, upsetting. Where did I leave those keys? I looked in the little dish on the counter, I checked my pockets, I looked on the floor. Gone. I got several pairs of cheaters, reading glasses scattered around my house and my office, but I'm sitting in the restaurant's dim light trying to read the menu. I reach into my pocket. Gone. You young people here today, just wait. Your time is coming. Gone will be the days when you could whack a softball that would send the center fielder back on his heels, and you'll be happy just for a single up the middle. Gone will be 2020 vision. Gone will be those early morning jogs because the doctor said your knees can't take the pounding anymore. When things are gone, it can be frustrating. And you parents, just wait. You're scratching your head to try to figure out the hectic schedule, how you're going to get your kids to school and to swimming lessons and soccer and piano lessons and to church. And all of a sudden, they're off to college and gone. When someone or something is gone, it can be frustrating, irritating, upsetting sometimes downright sad. Of course, there are some things we would wish to have gone, and we're glad when they're gone, like the old rolled-up carpet in the attic from the previous house owner, or the cassette tapes, or that refrigerator in the basement that keeps sucking up the energy and electricity and runs and runs and runs. There are other things, of course, we wish would be gone, but we're stuck with them. And we drag them around in life like having a 50-pound backpack of sorrow strapped to our back. That's what makes heaven such a relief. And that's the point of the second lesson which you heard read from the lectern today, from the second last chapter of the entire Bible. Rejoice in what will be gone. Through Jesus, gone will be danger dirt and division. Rejoice! The Christians who first received this Bible book were living in and around seven cities on the left coast of Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. They did not all have Abraham's DNA, but they knew their Bible. And they knew the Bible stories about the ancient nation of Israel. And they knew that the Israelites were often in danger from enemy armies. Israelites who lived up north in that land around the Sea of Galilee were usually the first to get hit. They were unprotected, easily overwhelmed, and those farmers in that part of the country had to hand over and unload their hard-earned crops to feed, feed the foes who were coming in and attacking. But the people living in the cities, like Jerusalem, had a different plan. Walls. Once you saw blood running in the streets, 
and horses hooked up to ropes pulling down your home's walls, and your wife violated, and your teenage daughter forced into slavery. You built massive walls with bolted gates, and each evening as the sun was setting, you could hear the creaking of the hinges as the gates were closed and bolted so that people inside could sleep in peace, safe from danger. That's the way it was for the people of the ancient nation of Israel. But what about these people who received this Bible book in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea? They were living in a dangerous time. In the year 64 AD, a fire raged through Rome. There was speculation that the emperor Nero set the fire to indulge his desire, his desire for urban revitalization. So, Nero blamed the Christians. The historian Tacitus wrote this. Besides being put to death, the Christians were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clad in hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified, others set on fire to illuminate the night when daylight failed. Not long after that, Emperor Domitian saw to the execution of some of his own family members on the accusation of atheism and religious customs inappropriate for the empire. It's generally assumed that his relatives were Christians. A few decades later, actually within years, short years after this Bible book was written, Emperor Trajan passed a law which allowed for persecution on those who were involved in a forbidden religion, Christianity. And a few decades after that, during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, another law was passed punishing with exile anyone who tried to influence people's minds with faith toward God and also made it a lot easier for Christians to have their property confiscated. But danger also lurked within their city walls when the truth of God was corrupted and twisted by false teachers, persecution could certainly bring pain to their bodies, make them lose their possessions and their property. But false doctrine had the potential of being a lethal cancer on their souls. John, in this vision from Jesus, gave them hope to cope with present danger and hope for a brighter future. In this vision, he saw a city with gates that remained open, even at night. That's unthinkable. But in the center of this glorious heavenly city, the Lamb of God was on his throne and all danger would be gone. That fire-breathing, slithery dragon, Satan, and that ferocious leopard-like beast with ten horns and seven heads and razor-like bear claws for his feet and with fangs like a lion representing pressure from government and society on Christians. And that other beast who looked like a lamb but spouted the lies of the dragon 
representing false doctrine, which was soul-killing. All of these pictured in the vision were going to be drowned and thrown into the eternal burning lake of sulfur. No need for a watchman on the city walls there. The gates could remain open. Danger would be gone. There's a reason for streetlights. Darkness breeds evil. Are the bad guys hiding around the corner or down that dark alley? But darkness once in a while can also push sleep away, stirring up shameful memories of poor decisions, immoral misdeeds that make walking through the shadows of memory lane downright dangerous. But we walk every step of every day and at night with the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, at our side, who is beaming with the brightness because he's the light of the world. And we've got his holy word, which is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And we've got this promise from Jesus through John that we can rejoice that danger will be gone. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Rejoice. Danger will be gone. The Christians who first received this Bible book were not all Israelites, but they knew their Bibles. And they knew many of the laws that God had given to the ancient nation of Israel. Some of them, some of those laws were quite practical relating to health and hygiene, but had some spiritual implications. God told the Israelites, don't touch carcasses and dead bodies. Okay, if you have to remove roadkill or gut an animal after the hunt, or if you have to prepare a body for a funeral, then wash your hands and your clothes. If you've got a boil or a burn or an itch or a sore, go show it to the priest who's qualified to evaluate if you need isolation for its healing. And then of all means wash. If you've got mildew creeping into the house, remove the contaminated stones, scrape off the yucky stuff, wash those stones and before replacing, and then replaster. God was telling the ancient Israelites, germs, bacteria, dirt, that's bad for your body. But sin is dirt on your soul. As you wash your hands and your body and your clothes, you also need to have your soul washed clean of sin. And guess what? In the Bible book called Leviticus, where these be clean laws are recorded for the Israelites, what's the very next chapter after the be clean laws? Leviticus 16. In the great day of atonement, picturing the payment and the removal of the dirt of sin. Dirt is good for flowers and vegetables. Not so good when you drag it on your shoes into the kitchen. Dirt is what the very first human was made out of. But dirt on the car and hands and mirror and windows, sometimes that's hard to clean. Sometimes you can get all the cleansers and all the elbow grease at it, and it's really hard to remove a stain. But what if you had a stain on your reputation? 
I saw a documentary not long ago, a true story about some athletes in a university out east who, yes, were involved in very inappropriate and sinful behavior for a party they held, but they were falsely, falsely accused of a crime. It took over a year to clear their reputation, and some of them are still affected by it. How do you clean a reputation that's dirty? And how do you clean a dirty reputation when you're standing before God? When God is the one who says, nothing impure will ever enter the heavenly city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. And from God's view, even one tiny little, even one tiny little sin makes your reputation and my reputation dirty. And there's no way anyone with a dirty reputation is going to get their name recorded in the Lamb of God's book of eternal life. You're not going to get in the record book if you haven't broken a record. You're not going to be in a hall of fame if you've got a big L for loser imprinted on your forehead. And you're not going to get into the heavenly hall of faith if you've got a dirty reputation. And yet, John tells us here that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Something must have happened. And it did. We've been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. John sees a vision of the thousands gathered around the throne of, Lamb, of the Lamb of God in heaven. He says, who are these? Who are all these people? And here's the answer. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Life on earth isn't always so pleasant. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's believers, that's Christians, that's all of us, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the not guilty verdicts pronounced over the saints. Rejoice, because gone is the dirt of sin from God's eyes right now, thanks to Jesus. And in heaven, gone will be the dirt of sin forever. The people who first received this Bible book in those cities along the left coast of Asia Minor were not all Israelites, but they knew their Bibles, and they knew many of the laws that God had given to the ancient nation of Israel, which also included laws to keep the Israelites separate divided, separate from other nations and cultures so they would not get absorbed into the nations around them and lose their distinct identity as the nation from which the Savior was to be born. So the people of ancient Israel all understood political, national, and racial divisions. But what about the Christians in these seven cities on the coast of Asia Minor? They also knew about divisions. In fact, the Apostle Paul, three decades earlier, wrote a letter to one of the churches, Ephesus, emphasizing oneness and unity because the Christians in that congregation were at each other's throats. They had a different cultural background, some from an Israelite background, some from a non-Israelite background. They weren't getting along. He wrote to them about oneness. The Apostle John, receiving a vision from Jesus, echoes Paul's words. The nations... The nations will walk by the Lamb's light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, the heavenly city. 
The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. For people, pressured and persecuted by godless, ruthless rulers and by sneering, skeptical neighbors, found that almost unimaginable. But sure enough, 200 years later, Emperor Constantine declared that Christianity would be a legal religion in the Roman Empire. He himself was a Christian. And gone, at least in part, were divisions. Picturing divisions being gone completely in heaven. You and I, citizens of this country we call America, and of this metro area known as Milwaukee area, we have a heavy burden of guilt to bear because of the human trafficking that went on in our nation 150 so years ago and because of the bigotry that's gone on in our community and maybe our own personal biases. We have a heavy burden of guilt to bear. But there's an amazing thing that the Apostle Paul tells us. Jesus is the one who forgives sin like that. No matter what your skin color, no matter who you are on earth, blood of everyone has the same color, red. And the sin status of every human being, no matter what their skin color, the sin status before God is the same, bad. But Jesus paid for all of that sin. That's why Paul could write this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We rejoice because division is is gone. Gone is division, partially now, but perfectly and permanently in heaven. When you're having a bad day, and you're sad or sorrowful, and even the most bubbly among us have a bad day once in a while, where do you go to turn sorrow into joy? How about this? How about Jesus' story about the guy who was looking for pearls. Remember that story? It's a little one. Here's what the Gospel writer Matthew tells us. When this man found one, a pearl of great value, he went away and sold everything he had. Why? Because he was overjoyed. Talk about excitement. Imagine if you got a pearl. You know what pearls are like. Little, little deals, right? What if you got a pearl that was so huge it could be carved into an archway and gate of a city. And you got 12 of them. And on top of that, streets of gold. My dear friends, all of that is yours in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. The 12 gates of the heavenly city were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as transparent as glass. Talk about excitement. Are you today or... Could you be in the future somewhere along the line frustrated, irritated, upset, maybe even just plain sad because someone or something is gone? Better than having your teeth braces gone. Better than having the mortgage payments gone. Better than the oncologist announcing, your cancer is gone, is this message of Jesus through John. Rejoice. Gone will be dirt, danger, dirt, and division. Gone in Jesus. Amen. And please stand.